Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey friends, my name's Olivia Perez and I'm an entrepreneur, journalist, and the host of the Friend of a Friend podcast. Every Monday, I meet with some of today's youngest and brightest entrepreneurs to make space to tell their stories and shine a light on who I believe to be the next generation of luminaries. I'll interview up-and-comers and game changers from brand builders to personalities, activists, artists, and thought leaders from around the world. Each episode lets you be a fly on the wall during one of the greatest pep talks, like a conversation between you and a friend or a friend of a friend. See you there. I'm Caroline Stanbury, star of The Real Housewives of Dubai. I'm remarried and living my best life ever. See, there's so much life after divorce. I'm starting my new chapter unapologetically. I'm bringing real stories, real life, real talk on all things that aren't said between each other, society, the sheets, and everything in the middle. And lucky me, you'll be joining me on the journey. Listen to all new episodes every Wednesday. So buckle up. So welcome back to another episode of Divorce Not Dead. And today I'm joined by Maddie Mayo, who's the co-founder of the Sister Podcast and the host of the new video podcast, 36 Questions Later, which I'm fascinated by, and Camba. So welcome. Oh, thank you so much. I'm fascinated. This series you're doing is it's about blind dates and 36 questions that leads to true love. Is that right? Yeah. So basically what we did, we were also fascinated by the 36 questions that lead to love. It was actually popularized by this New York Times article and it went viral a couple of years ago. And basically it's a study around 36 questions that if you answer them with a prospective partner, you will fall in love. So we want to put it to the test with blind dates and strangers. So we essentially filmed four different couples. They did not know each other. This is the first time they have ever met. And we filmed them answering the 36 questions that lead to love. And we see, you know, the cringiness, the awkwardness, but we also see like the beauty and the love and the connection that comes through these 36 questions. And then in the last episode, we follow up with them a couple months later and see if they actually did fall in love. I won't spoil the series for you, but yeah, it's on, it's on YouTube. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can watch it anywhere now. It's 36 Questions Later, a little mini series. But yeah, it was an incredible experiment and way to see kind of like a, a human connection wise how these 36 questions can either lead to love, they can lead to friendship, or they can lead to nothing really. 
it's funny actually because I'm obsessed at the moment with this show on Netflix called Love Is Blind. Of and, course, I just finished the. I just finished season four. Oh, I'm like, and it's fascinating because yeah. you know we all want to believe that we're not superficial and that we're not. It's not about just about looks. And actually, you know, I, I guess it's human nature that the first time you meet someone, it's it's always going to be about looks. It just will be, you know, yeah. but that's why lots of friends fall in love after years, because maybe what was under their nose they didn't see before. And that's why fundamentally, actually, we should cut those senses off and get down to the questions because the questions are what make you last. West, you know, finding someone attractive, you know, I've been out with, you know, when I was younger with male models and whatever else, and God knows and chosen, <laughs> chosen men like that. And I know, you know, men have chosen women like that. And then after, you know, two, three months, everybody's bored of each other. There's nothing to talk about. Yeah. And fundamentally for a long relationship to last, you need to have the same goals and aspirations and think the same way. Exactly. Yeah, completely agree. I think superficial features can only get you so far and that initial attraction can only get you so far. And it's it's definitely important, but these questions kind of unleash another layer to a relationship. And, you know, I've done it in every relationship I've been in. I've also done it like several times, like every year, even just doing it again with your partner or even doing it with a friend. Like it's something that kind of goes beyond the bounds of romantic relationships just to understand, again, fundamental human values. Are you guys on the same page? And just like a, a little check-in. So take me through like some of the questions. Yeah. I'm fascinated. Let's do it. Are you? Yes. I was going to say, can I, I'm going to take the reins. I'm going to take over and I'm going to ask you some of the questions. I'll answer them as well, just so that we can kind of see if we fall in love, Caroline, right. we'll, we'll check in at the end. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> okay. Let's start. Let's start off easy. Okay. What would constitute a perfect day for you? I think at the beginning, a perfect date for me is like one where you start off chatting and you go to lunch and it sort of leads into the evening, you know, and you go to a movie where you just don't want it to end. So like, mm. I love doing normal things on a date. Like I don't, I, I actually prefer to go out of the way restaurants where you don't run into people, you know, and that you can spend real time with that person. And then I love watching movies in the cinema too. And, you know. Yeah, that's perfect. I, I completely agree. I think it's the, it's where the conversation like can't stop. It's flowing like three hours fly by and you're just on your you know fourth glass of wine and you're like, oh my God, I want to stay forever. Yes. Yeah. And it's just easy to talk to. And I also think there's something beautiful in the silence and not feeling like completely awkward if there is a silent moment or, you know, you're just, you know, scroungling up something to say. There's something really beautiful which is where I think the cinema comes, right? So you can be silent, but you're still yeah, with that person. Exactly. But you kind of didn't want the date to end. And, you know, like that's like, I've had first dates like that. In fact, my husband was like that, mm -hmm. where you oh. just never wanted it to end. So sweet. I love that. Yeah. And then there's also like, if you're at a movie, that physical touch or like holding hands or like the like, will she, won't they? Or what, you know, and it's that fun dance that happens. I love that. Yeah. So true. Okay. The next question, for what in your life do you feel most grateful? Oh, well, my children, but I can't, you mean, so I, I'm single, right? In my head. 
It's not about kids and family. No, just, we can just talk, we can chat as just your life now. Okay, so, you know, getting a second chance and having this like blended amazing family that sort of, Mm. it's such a happy home right now. It's like so joyous. Like I love to come home, which I think at the end of my last relationship, I didn't want to be in the home. So it's so nice Mm. to want to get home. I always want to be home. Oh, I love that. Home and making it somewhere. Because I've also had previous homes where I would do everything and anything not to come home. And there's not any worse feeling than not feeling. Because home needs to be the epitome of comfort for you and security. And when it doesn't feel that way, I think there's definitely some changes you need to make in your life. So I really, really love that. Yeah. For me right now, I think my desire to improve myself and really work on my mindset and understand self-development. I don't know. I have this like appetite right now and this thirst for just like learning about myself. And I'm really grateful that that exists and that I'm motivated by that. I think it took me a long time to like get to this position where I wasn't afraid of doing the work and I wasn't afraid of confronting feelings and navigating uncomfortable situations. But now I feel this like sense of, oh yeah, like I deserve to be my full authentic self. And I deserve to step into like that magnetism. And so I'm grateful for that quality in myself. How old are you now, if that's not rude? I am almost 29. I mean, that's amazing to be able to step into your authentic self at 29. Most people don't even know who their authentic self is. So so to you on that one. And I love this experiment for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really, it's been a really beautiful journey. I'm, I know that you had Tinks on and she has this quote that I love where she says, your twenties are your most mismarketed decade. And I've never felt more (laughs) aligned with like a phrase in my life. I think your twenties, they, people say that you're supposed to, you know, be the hottest you'll ever be, or be the happiest, be in the greatest job and the greatest relationship, be having like amazing sex when you're in your twenties. And none of that is true. <laughs> it's like none a of weird, it. none, none of, of it. it. And it's a weird societal thing. And we see it in TV shows and movies and books. And it's so fascinating as you're living through it, you're like, fuck, like, am I doing something wrong because I'm not having the best time in my life? And so now that I'm, I'm venturing into my thirties, I feel so much more myself. I feel so much more happier and established. And it's weird that 20s get such, yeah, it's so mismarketed. It's very interesting. Well, wait till you hit your 40s. I think the 20s is marketed like that because, you know, the youth and feeling fabulous. Yeah. But it's it's actually looking back some of the hardest time of your life because you are so unsure of yourself and, you know, you don't know what men want. So you're so busy trying to conform to what everyone's telling you is the perfect way to be for a woman. Tinks, I think, is amazing, actually. I'm, you know, loved her and 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 what she's doing for, for that age group as well. And I exactly. wish we had more women back in the day like you guys that were saying it's okay to, I mean, not know, you know, what the fuck you want at 20, whatever. Yeah. And, and, you know, sex in your 20s, is is mostly boring as fuck. I mean, because you don't yeah. know your body at all. Exactly. And and you're so exactly. embarrassed and you don't want the lights on. You don't want to see the guy. You you don't know yourself. You don't know your own body. You're not able to ask for things. I I, I wouldn't go back if you paid me. 
I would not go yeah. backwards. So welcome to your 30s. I yeah, yeah. I hear I hear sex in your 40s is like the pinnacle. Oh, it's a whole nother beast. It's a yeah. whole nother beast. Yes. You won't be and it's just completely different. It's bizarre. And I can't tell yeah. you why, other than you're just oh my God, my parents listen to this podcast. How do I block them? <laughs> I still have parents, believe it or not. Even in my 40s, yeah. they still listen. I've got to figure out how to block them on Spotify, really. How to block them. <laughs> yeah. But no, I just think it's it's you just don't care. There you it's, it's zero shits given. And I don't even believe in mm. your thirties that you still aren't at a stage where you don't give a shit. You do. Because yeah. there's still so much, you've got so much still to achieve and you've so much to prove still. Mm-hmm. I think I'm now into however many businesses, divorced and, you know, remarried. And my husband is younger than, you know, most. So I think at this point, I feel like I, I can stop proving anything to anyone because I kind of feel like I did it. It's a, it must be an amazing feeling. Well, it's very relaxing. It's yeah. very relaxing. <laughs> Very peaceful. Can you I hear love it. In my voice. I'm <laughs> um, like, oh, yeah. I feel very at peace with myself, which I think you know. I can only wish on everybody. But anyway, continue. Absolutely. absolutely, I love that. I mean, yeah, I could talk about peace and and feel it. Yeah, that's the that's the goal is the peace of mind for sure. Okay, let's go to the next question. When did you last sing to yourself or to someone else? Oh my god, I'm the worst singer. Probably in the shower. <laughs> I like yeah. having a long, my, my, my husband loves to like get up in the morning. I mean, he's 29, 28, sorry, he's younger than you for God's sake. Yeah. So he jumps out of bed. Like, I mean, he's on steroids, <laughs> which he's not and starts singing and blaring all the speakers in our, in our bedroom. So I can't help really, but I live with a Duracell bunny. Basically I live with somebody. If someone could please out there, tell me how to turn this thing off. I would go down a notch. <laughs> I love it. What are what are the kind of music that's going around on the speakers? Oh my god! He'll like uh, you know. I, I'm happy. Anything like that's oh my upbeat. god. Yeah, like just the the you know cheese. He likes cheese, and then he sings and he Cheesy. brushes his teeth while jumping around in his boxer shorts. I live in one of those commercials. You know what? Like I'd rather have that over pessimism or like not being excited for the day. I think that's like such an incredible infectious energy to be around, but it also is. loud. You know? It's actually life-changing. I have to say, yeah. having lived with someone when the glass is always half empty, to live with someone that is the glasses full to the brim and overflowing, mm. it's like, okay, you know what? I would take this any day of the week because it is infectious. It can't help but, you know, lift your spirits and your mood and the day starts mm. that way. So it's got to go get better from there, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, singing, you know, I grew up, doing theater. So I used to sing very professionally. And then I just completely changed course in my life. And I was supposed to go to college for theater and I just completely changed it. And I really haven't sang since, which is, which is like weird to even say, because it used to be such a core pillar of my life. And I think sometimes that I want to go back to singing lessons, like just for myself, just as something that, and I, I think also our generation, we are so quick to, when we have a hobby or an interest to try to monetize it. And I'm like, oh, well, if I start singing, like maybe I should do shows and then maybe post on TikTok. I'm like, no, no, no. Like this can just be something that I do for myself or that I, you know. I think we have forgotten that. We've forgotten just to have fun 
without it either being for social media. I mean, you know, we're even guilty of that. You know, my husband is behind all my sort of social media and everything now. And, yeah. you know, sometimes we'll be having fun, just the two of us. And then, you know, he'll whip out the phone. And I'm like, no. And I, you know, I do understand there's a fine line because it's a business too, but there's a fine line of also mm -hmm. keeping some stuff for yourselves. And I think that it's really important to have those moments and to have things where you just say today, I'm not going to, you know, fall into that trap of trying to monetize everything we do. And, and but it's the world today. It's the world. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing that you've, you can set those types of boundaries. How, how have you found, because I think in my life, I will set that boundary, but there will still be like a shame beneath it where it's like, I'm ashamed that I'm not creating content right now, or I'm ashamed that, you know, this could have been a great moment to post or whatever. But do you just, are you just able to place the boundary and then release any type of like, no, this is for me. I'm going to fully feel it. No, I mean, it's difficult. It's really difficult because obviously every, everything big in our lives we have social media and then I do a TV show. So everything is documented. Right. So I'm never going to miss a giant, you know, my birthday or, you know, a surprise he's thrown me because that's just what we do for a living. But right. I do feel like sometimes, you know, there'll just be this moment and I, he'll be like, oh my God, I'm going to video this. And then I'm like, please don't. And I do put my foot down. But then he, you know, it's it's a really tough one because, you know, later... I'll see someone else or something else like that. Another couple of posted something maybe similar. And I'll be like, oh, shit, we should have done it. And, mm. you know, but again, that's, it is the way of the world. Like it's a constant hustle that we're all on. Right. So there mm. has to be a line sometimes where you go, okay, otherwise your whole life is content. It is. I mean, it yeah. just is. And especially with what Sergio and I do being on reality TV, then having what, whatever I, you know, before he came along, I couldn't do TikTok and all the other platforms because it was just too much <laughs> for me. Now I have to do yep. all of these things and I still find it funny at my age that I'm doing them. But, you know, he, he gets it. And like in the last week, we've gone viral however many times, you know, millions and millions of views. And I'm like, okay, I get it now because it's really beginning to work for us. So well, the, yeah. And, the, you know, I just have to turn it into something where it's not tedious. I'm beginning to find Instagram more tedious, like taking a yeah. picture of myself. I find really difficult. Whereas I think I enjoy TikTok more than anything because I can actually be my hilarious self. And I don't worry about filters and all of that rubbish that you do have to create this amazing picture of yourself on Instagram. And actually, like, it's just so it's so hard now to grow and to like a, a static picture isn't fun to look at. It's like whatever. So, yeah. you know, I, I it's hard to keep the enthusiasm. Right. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. I just mm -hmm. I do draw a line. But then do I feel guilt? I guess I do sometimes because I also like the paycheck. Yeah. Let's face it. Yeah. Yeah. It's your, it's your livelihood. I, I feel totally similar. And I think, I think there's a lot of that shared frustration right now with Instagram. I think we're so over the highly curated, the highlights, the only showing the big moments in your life. And TikTok feels so much more stripped down, like just spur of the moment. Like I, I will put so much more of myself on TikTok than I do on Instagram. Yeah. And it's just the nature of the type of people that are there, the content that they expect. And it just feels so much more authentic. 
It is. I think, uh, you know, again, how, how authentic can you be in a static post? It's very difficult, right? right? You have way too long to sort of smooth out your skin and do all that. West, I don't yeah. think you have that time or, you know, the inclination in TikTok. It's like, I forget TikTok is going anywhere. And actually TikTok yeah. is going 10 times further for me. Um, so I'm always like, you know, but look, uh, again, they're both, when I get frustrated with ever with what I do, I look at myself and go, what the fuck are you moaning about? I mean, you know, I used to yeah. have a startup with however many employees with the stress of God knows how much turning over, you know, or, or, or ending up with the same amount of money I'm, I'm earning at home, lying, you know, in my bed mm. next to my husband with just me and him to worry about. You know, so I, I need to understand. And when I think about it on that level and that perspective, like, you know, okay, I could be in an office or I can be at home enjoying my dogs, my family and my beautiful house. What would I, you know, I, again, bloody blessed, very lucky yeah. at 47 that they even want to see me on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> they want to see you. They want to see you. Wow. I really just selfishly, now I'm like going off course, but selfishly, I, so I have a startup that you mentioned in the beginning, Camber. It's a travel recommendations app and we're in the early stages of growing, growing the business. And I'd love to hear how you had the courage to say, Hey, this might not be for me anymore. But when, when I left the business, my business. Yeah. Well, that that was down to more my investors not getting on. So I didn't have much choice. It actually folded. Okay. I always advise people, if you can hold on to your business, hold on to it and don't take investment from multiple sources because not only do you have to deal with your you, you then have to deal with them, then their egos, mm. then, you know, taking investment and paying it back to other people that want, you know, different things. It's just a nightmare. And all the things that yeah. you loved and the reason behind starting the business in the first place is the bits you don't get to enjoy it goes anymore. away. Totally. When it went, I was devastated, like devastated. It was like losing a child for me because I'd had it for over mm. 10 years and it wasn't due to anything I did. And I wish it had been. It would have been a lot of an easier pill to swallow. But I will say this. It was getting to a size that was so big for me and so stressful and actually out of my remit in a way. Like I got it to a certain size and my dream was always that someone, when they invested, would put in like a management team. I, you know, at this point I had sort of 80 something employees and, you know, that I, I had no idea. It's like, you know, I hadn't run a business that big. And, you know, when you're a CEO, you run every part of it, right? Not just the bits you like. So, and invariably it's the bits you don't like that you get lumbered with. So, yeah. you know, when it happened, I was devastated, but more for my ego. But now mm. looking back, I'm bloody glad I don't have it. So if you know it's not serving you anymore or you don't have the love for it, you, are you, you owe no one nothing. You know, I always say that you, you're, you're better off cutting off, cutting it off now and starting again with something that you do love because business, once you're in it, it doesn't get easier. You have to have a real yeah. love and it, it gets bigger yeah. and bigger. It's like a wheel and then it needs feeding and then it needs feeding, you know, like the, the, you're left doing the money raise. You're left doing all the, you know, I, I even hated having that many employees. I really did. I literally loathed it. If one more person asked me, I don't know, you know, employees don't understand. I think they think that CEOs just come in, 
They have endless pots of money. They've never worked anywhere else in their life that, you know, they've just inherited the business. Therefore, they've got, you know, these perfect lives and none of which is true. And we have all the stress, if not more, of making sure that they take home their wages and that they are Mm. safe. And that actually one of the biggest, biggest worries for a CEO is the people that they hire and, you know, the lives Mm. that they're affecting. And, you know, so... So I think there's this total misconception that, you know, workers have the really tough time and that we are all sitting back having a pina colada rolling in the money that they earn us. So I think it's an interesting, I I, I just know that I never want to be in that place again. Totally. I think that's something that people don't talk about is the glamorization of entrepreneurship. And when you get into it, you don't know how big it's going to get. And you also don't know if that's something you desire. And that's yes. really, I, I I love that you said that about, hey, like I didn't, I didn't want to run an 80 person company. Like that's not really what I signed up for. And I don't think as entrepreneurs, you just kind of, you grind and grind and grind and it gets to a point where it's like, oh, wow, this wasn't exactly what I had envisioned. I'm not, yeah, sitting on a beach with a pina colada, like rolling in dough, of course not. But I also love what you said about ego. And I'm curious to know, how after that experience, are you just more aware of your ego now? You don't let it dictate your life or your actions or how did that experience affect like your relationship to your ego? Well, I understood that I was holding on and holding on and fighting harder because of my ego, because it's embarrassing to tell people after 10 years of running a business. And I was, you know, I always say the business is the art of bullshit, right? So because clearly we all start a business. None of us know where we're going and nobody, I I defy anyone to tell you this is, you know, where I started and this is where I ended up. That doesn't never works Mm -hmm. like that. Never will do. And unless maybe you buy a company and start exactly where it was meant to end up, (laughs) you you know, Mm -hmm. no business that starts ends up where you think it's going to end up. So, you know, and nobody that starts a business from their table at home has experience. So it's the art of bullshit. And that is, you know, it's in in a way, it's like I say, you put on a suit and you go and believe your own bullshit. You talk to yourself. I talked to myself and told myself I could do everything. I couldn't, you know, I didn't know. And I did, I did. Mm -hmm. I, I fooled myself for a very long time. I managed to do every single part of the business that I had to learn. I had no experience in any of it. And I kept going to the investors at the end. I was like, you know, when, but this is not again, why it went, but I didn't want to run it anymore. It got too big for me. Mm. And so I didn't have an ego at that point because I was like, you know what? I started it and I got it here. I built it. I'm very, very proud of myself. I'm getting, I started it from my kitchen table with one person, my, my secretary. And I got, grew it to that. And I got two of the biggest, you know, companies in the world really to invest in it and believe in me. So I did something right. That's enough. Your ego in my head, I suppose, when I took the two investors that didn't like each other, I got very excited because they were very big names. And I was like, okay, well, you know, if they want it, you know, very soon I'm going to be Netaporte and I will be having, I will own a private jet. I'm going to be lying on a beach and you'll all be coming with me. There's my ego. Yeah. Not so, right? And then when it blew up, of course, my ego didn't want people to know because it's public. It's public and it's embarrassing mm. no matter what, whether it's your fault or not, which it wasn't, thank God. But I, again, Actually, weirdly for my ego, I wish it had been my fault because then I could have accepted it more because 
you know, I would have accepted that I ran it into the ground more than it was doing well. And, you know, people didn't get on, you know, that was hard mm. because, yeah. you know, the choices I made taking other investors that I didn't really necessarily need was ego. There was my ego because I wanted everyone to see everyone wanted a bit of the company. So, you know, business should not be driven ever by ego. It's so important. Ego only trips you up. So if you know that it's wrong or if you don't feel comfortable, change it, change it change because it, yeah. it doesn't get easier as it gets bigger and it will only get bigger. That's the thing. Or if you know it's not going well and you're just not enjoying it anymore, then, you know, again, close it while you can. I've closed companies where, you know, I didn't know any money. I didn't have any creditors. I just decided it was just I just didn't want to do it. This is, I, I closed my one before that myself, you know, and, and, and that's okay. That was okay. I mean, I didn't have a load of employees. I, you know, but I just decided I didn't want to do it anymore. And I, I made peace with that and closed it myself with yeah. no debt, no this, no nothing and no hassle. It's when you hold yeah. on and you push yourself into something, you know, when you're trying to fit a square into a circle and you're doing something, as you said, you know, if most entrepreneurs start out not knowing what they're doing, then it, if it becomes successful after two to three years, you know, you then have a proper business and you need to understand what a proper business looks like and what does it mean yeah. to your time? I didn't have any time. I didn't have any, you know, I didn't have, I, I worked every hour of the day. I was a slave to my phone. I was just constantly on edge and it depends what life you want and it's a choice and you need yeah. to make that choice. No one can make it for you. Yeah. I feel like there's so much there's so much rhetoric and this narrative of don't give up, don't give up, right? Like keep pushing, don't give up. Whereas there's real beauty in knowing when it's not right for you and when it's okay to give up. And I think well, that the don't giving give up, up, keep going is- Sorry, there's two different that? types of giving up, right? There's a, there's a giving yes. up where people say, don't give up, it will happen. That's where you're getting exasperated and you go, oh, I'm still not making much money. You're plodding along you know, it hasn't hit tipping point yet. And that kind of giving up, I would always say don't give up because perseverance mm -hmm. does get you to the end. And, totally. you know, mo if you keep pushing and you just chip away, businesses do grow. But by giving up, it's not giving up saying that this has become something I don't enjoy. This is not the life I envisage. That's not giving up. That is a totally different sentiment. That is like right. saying, I've taken it here. It's actually not what I thought it was going to be. I don't really enjoy it and it's not for me. At which point you can say, I'm going to close it and you close it in a respectful way where nobody gets hurt and, you know, you give yeah. everybody notice and you don't owe anyone anything or you, you sell it to someone and you say, here you go. I've started it. I've had enough. Take over. But, you know, and there's plenty of ways and both are very, very dignified, grown up decisions and they're not easy. And that's your ego saying, that I, you know, I can't because people keep saying, don't give up. Well, you can't listen to people. They're not going to be there for the rest of your life. I mean, no. <laughs> and you're the one that's tied to it. It's, it. And it's being tied to a business. A business has a business takes a life of its own. And having been through quite a lot with my businesses as a director, as a CEO, when things do happen that go wrong, you are treated very differently because you owe the business something. The business is an entity. It becomes an entity above you. And you need to know that, to love that, to understand that because 
if you make mistakes in the future and you decide that this isn't for you and you know you do things wrong you are no longer you're just you're an employee of that business you work for that business that business can sue you you need to be very aware of all of these things before Absolutely. and you continue and make decisions yeah yeah. And it kind of, I mean, it leads to the next, I, we kind of went off on a tangent, yeah. but I, I think this is all such amazing, amazing things. This is kind of what the questions do. It's like yeah, conversation starters and it's where it leads it. But this next question is, is very interesting because you've obviously entered a whole new like season of your life, if you will. So the question is, would you like to be famous, which you are, so mm-hmm. it'll be kind of like, what ways is fame something either that you anticipated or how is it different than what you thought it would be? Just how, maybe just like your relationship to fame. It's funny because when I was younger, I suppose I grew up in, you know, Dorset and I went to boarding school and I was just very normal. And I think I always dreamed about being famous. I always wanted to be famous. I don't know why. I just wanted people to notice me, I suppose, because I was just like, just at school, we all wore the uniform. I was from school school to six to 18. We all wore the same. Everyone had to look the same. You can't wear makeup, I suppose. And you looked in the magazines and you just wanted to be famous. Everybody did. I watched all the movies. And I was like, oh, you know, and I lived in Dorset, for God's sake. How am I going to get to Hollywood in my head? Like, how am I going there? So I always wondered what it would be like. I always, as a little girl, wanted thought about it. And I thought about lots of things. I was meant to be married to a banker and I'm now married to, you know, an ex-professional, gorgeous 29-year-old, so 28-year-old. <laughs> so I completely pictured this life at school, watching all those ridiculous teen movies and everything in the 80s. Why did I want fame? I don't know why all my relation. I mean, now I've got fame to a degree, right? I live in, it's funny because when I did my first show, I did Ladies of London in London but the show was predominantly shown in America. So I sort of got to go over there, live my dream of like people going, ah, it's Caroline Stanbury and there she is, you know, but like London already knew me as like kind of like on the scene. So they weren't that interested, nor did they really care. (laughs) And I suppose the same is with here. Now I live in Dubai. I'm, you know, I'm a lot more famous in America now, which is great and it's fun and it's like great because I don't live there. So it's really a giggle when I go go there with my husband. And of course, he's never experienced that with me till last year. So when we go there and everyone's like, oh, my God. And actually, weirdly, I'm probably more famous now for my podcast than anything. Ah. People love the podcast. I get screamed at on I the street. It. Oh, my God. Divorce, not dead. Divorce, not dead. Which is weird. But um, so I'm really making peace with the the fame is I don't have an unnatural part of, you know, piece of fame that I can't do anything. And I have famous friends and I'm like, oh God, you know, I don't get chased around like a crazy people are very respectful and very nice. Whether that comes as, you know, seasons go on on housewives. Look, when I go to BravoCon with housewives, it's nuts. Absolutely nuts. But yeah. And, you know, Sergio and I are more recognizable because we're two of us too. So if one of, you know, if I'm having an ugly day or whatever, and no one recognizes me, someone recognizes him or vice versa. It's just fun for us because, as I said, we live in a country where it's very respectful. You don't have famous people here. So people tend not to run over to you too much. And we don't really go out that much anymore. So, wow. It seems like the best. I mean, it seems like the best of both worlds. Yes, you have we- that. Yeah. Notoriety. But then it's this you still can have like a private life and a life where you aren't afraid to go out to the grocery store. There's this there's this amazing kind of balance. You, you Yeah. Found. We dip in and we dip out. So 
probably we we quite enjoy it. I mean, until I don't know. I don't know if it changes the longer you go on on shows like this. And maybe it does. Maybe it will. I don't know. Maybe I'll hate it after a while. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I've always said that and I, I, I relate to, you know, growing up, especially when I was in theater, I thought, you know, I want to be a pop star. I want to be I want to be Beyonce. And I think it's shifted a bit for me where I'm not sure that I would want a level of fame where, yeah, people are chasing me down the streets. I can't live a normal life, but I would love this sense of notoriety or people respecting me for the work I do or knowing about the work I do. I think that's more it. I think that's it. You know, I think mine is a need to be recognized for the hard work that I put in. Yeah. I wish I didn't have that need actually, but I feel like I want people to recognize I worked fucking hard to be here. And, you know, it's not just me taking a picture on Instagram. So I think the fame, (laughs) because everyone feels that they're famous today, you know, there's a window into their lives. Right. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I get very upset when someone says to me, oh, you're an, what is it? What do they call it? An influencer. I'm I'm like, Mm. okay, maybe I'm an accidental one now, but that's not how I started out. And that's not, you know, I'm a lot more than that. So, you know, I guess I wanted fame Yeah, notoriety. I think you're exactly right for people to just to know that I exist and why. Exactly. I love that. Okay. Shifting gears a little bit. When did you last cry in front of another person or by yourself? Oh, God. I'm asking my husband. (laughs) Quite a long time ago, I think. I very rarely cry. Really? Yeah. Oddly. I don't know. He cries a lot more than me. (laughs) There's no heart, he says. I don't know. I'm not a big crier, to be honest. How are these leading people to fall in love, these questions? They're so random that I can't understand how you can end up like going, this is the guy I'm going to marry at the end of this. Maybe because I'm He's doing like, it I cry. I cry every other day. Like, <laughs> you fall in love. I think it's vulnerability. I think it's, I don't know. But you've done this with someone? Yes, I've done it with my partner. We do it like every year as a, as a recap. I mean, we did it when we first started dating. I don't know if it like made us, you know, fall in love more at that moment, but it definitely uncovered a lot of either memories or values or things that, that we've thought about. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I cry a lot. I'm a, I'm a cancer. So I have, I cry all the time. So I literally probably yesterday is my answer. Okay. What is your most treasured memory? Oh, treasured memory. I have a terrible, terrible memory. So this is a hard one for me. I don't know. I think, you know, they're moments for me. It's like, you know, getting married, giving birth, these kind of things for me. It's like, because I I have a terrible memory where I tend to forget life. So, Mm. you know, I try, I try and I remember certain achievements in my life more than anything. And those are treasured. And, you know, my latest one, of course, is just getting married again. It was just such a beautiful day. And it was so, so amazing, I think, because it was, it was the beginning of a new beginning, right? I love that. Yeah. The markers of your life and those big, those big moments. Yeah. For me, I think it was starting my company. I think also my boyfriend and I right now are on our way to marriage and just kind of even that's a treasured memory of us even getting to that point. And I guess it's memories, right? It's the commitment, the understanding like what marriage is, why I desire it. You know, I don't have that many great successful examples of it in my life. Everyone, every 
parent and aunt and uncle are divorced. And so something, which I don't think is necessarily a reason not to get married, but it is something that I need to reconcile with, sit with, understand what marriage means to me. I think that's something people don't talk about a lot is there's like a societal definition of what a like successful marriage is. I think that's something you define on your own. That's something that is completely unique to you and your partner. You can't compare it. A very good way for you to start. Because I think to know that you're, you know, in a world where most marriages do end in divorce, it's okay, by the way. Right. He may be Mr. Right right now. And that's also okay. And once you take that and the scary out of it, and the one thing I would say to you as young people starting out is just to do prenups and know exactly where you're going in life. <laughs> and, yep. and then it's just easy from there because, you know, either way, it, like lots of people start again and, and hopefully, or, you know, not hopefully, I mean, maybe you will, maybe you won't. There's no hope as in, it's like, it doesn't matter either. My point is either way is okay. Either way is just as okay. It's not bad. It's not a failure. It doesn't mean anything. My first marriage was 18 years. You're going to tell me that was a failure? It's not. You know, this one, I've been five years with him already. Not a failure. You know, it doesn't matter if it lasts 20 or another two. It's it's another great chapter. And that when you take that that out of it, it's a completely, completely sort of non-scary, non, it shouldn't be binding. There should be nothing binding in this world. I think it should just be like, you know, we're here, we love each other and we, we're showing people our commitment, but it shouldn't be like, you know, we, we have to make this work for the rest of our life. If it, you know, if it doesn't, one of us is going to hell. That's just yeah. not true. <laughs> and that's what we've exactly. been taught, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and what does marriage, not- what does marriage mean to you? Marriage means to me, well, it's different now. Marriage, I think back then was something I thought I had to do, should do, was expected to do. And I think now I don't feel that way. It's like, it's, it was my choice. Mm-hmm. Had it not been for Sergio, I wouldn't get married again. It's just that he's younger and he, you know, obviously being that much younger than me, he wanted to get married for, you know, because we love each other, obviously, but like, so that other people also understand that he's not just my toy boy that, you know, I'm running around with, that we're, you know, real. And I get that because probably if I'd met a 50 year old with kids, we probably wouldn't be married because there's no need. Right. I don't feel the need. I don't need to be validated again. I've done it. Um, but I'm very glad that I have, you know, this really romantic husband who wants to live the fairy tale with me because that's what we're doing. And it's like every day we're playing princess. It's really sweet. So marriage is for me just you know, it should be exactly what it should be. Two happy people, you know, and if you're not happy, then change something. And, mm-hmm. and, and total yeah. communication, which sounds to me like is what you do. I'm not sure. I, I don't know, Maddie, I'm going to have to watch your series because I'm not sure that these <laughs> questions would lead me to my husband yet. So I'm fascinated <laughs> to see this was, you said done by the New York times. Yes. The the article that uncovered this study went viral on the New York Times. This is what you're going to do. I'm going to assign you some homework. You and Sergio are going to do these questions okay. and assess before and after. I'm sure you guys know most of the answers, but it does bring up certain vulnerable moments and memories that you probably wouldn't have accessed 
in a conversation. I do understand with your that. Other? I do think yeah. these are like get to know someone better questions that totally. maybe, you know, I don't know, you know, I do feel like I'm going to go and read them all because, and I do feel that they probably went viral in the New York Times because, you know, in today's world, everybody's looking, especially in New York, at, to find, like for an answer, how do I find my man? How do I quick, find the right man? Totally, New York is specifically totally. a very hard city to meet men. So if the New York Times is present, presenting you with 36 questions to find the love of your life, I'm sure everyone <laughs> downloaded them. Does it? Yeah. Yes, everyone. I, oh I can well, see. Go on. Yeah. This was so lovely. Thank you. And then you're going to come on OKSIS podcast. So we'll do a little swap, which I'm so excited for. Very You'll meet excited my sister. to come on. And we'll, yes. I feel we'll like you've this, interviewed we'll me already. But I I'm know. coming. <laughs> I'm coming. And thank you. Can you tell everybody where to find you? Yes. And how to look you up? Yes, of course. So you can follow me at Maddie Mayo, M-A-D-Y-M-A-I-O on Instagram, TikTok. That's where you'll find the hub of everything. But watch 36 Questions Later and to follow around the series, it's on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and it's a video podcast, which is really fun. So if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can actually watch it as well as listen to it. But it is a really fascinating experiment. And then again, at the end, you will uncover who actually fell in love and where the couples are now. Thank you, Maddie. I am going to go and watch it. So I'm looking forward to coming on yours. Thank you for listening to another episode of Divorce Not Dead. And don't forget to subscribe. Thank you for listening to Divorce Not Dead. Tune in next Wednesday for a new episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear from you. Follow me on social media at at Caroline Stanbury for all the behind the scene action. 